Today's podcast is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. If you're looking for a place to bet football this weekend or even tomorrow at 3.40 in the afternoon when the Ravens are scheduled to take on the Steelers, go to MyBookie.ag and use my promo code KevinDC. They will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. Simply put, if you deposit $800, they're going to give you $400 additional dollars to play with. MyBookie.ag is fair, fair lines, fair pricing, and you'll get paid if you win. Trust me, if you've never bet before, you got to find a reputable shop, and MyBookie is one of them, to ensure you get paid. They've got a sports book, they've got a live betting casino, um, and a horse book as well. Uh, In-game bets, always every prop bet you can think of, MyBookie.ag. Uh, and use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars. You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're gonna get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Deep ball in the end zone, and it is caught, caught for the touchdown. Richard Rogers had it all the way. 33-yard touchdown catch. The Eagles attempted the most two-point conversions in the NFL. 14 on the season. And a lane opens up nicely for Miles Sanders, who strolls in for two. So what are the odds in Vegas of not one, but two Hail Marys being converted right. in succession? Oh, my God. If you were up late last night till the bitter end of the Monday night game and you had action on it, that was either a gift from God or one of the worst beats of all time. Uh, I am here today, no coolie today, but a very good friend of mine and one of my favorite people, Al Galdi from 980, uh, is joining us uh, and joining me on the show today. Um, and we'll sit in here for a while. It's not going to be a super long show today. Um, Cooley uh, promised me he would be back uh, tomorrow with some semblance of a film breakdown from the Dallas game. By the way, real quickly for him and his defense, because some of you are like, oh, great job, Cooley, on the film breakdown. Really reliable. And by the way, Galdi's worked with Cooley as much as I have over the years. Cooley's always reliable, but he sold his house in Virginia. He's been back. Things got a little bit messy, and he's been trying to deal with that. So he's had real-life issues versus this, you know, fantasy podcast stuff. Galdi, you would you would attest, right, to Cooley being one of the easiest people you've ever had to work with. Uh, yes. Now, it wasn't always 100% that he would be there, but when he was there, <laughs> he was always, always a pleasure to work with. So good to hear that he's back in town for a while and hope he's doing well. See, you just ruined it because <laughs> one of the things that I always, and I was concerned about it, and I think I probably talked to you and Zabe about it, you know, um, when when they moved the two of us in the mornings on 980. But I'm telling you during that entire two-plus years or whatever it was, I don't think he ever – I think he may have arrived late to the show one day. Um, I don't think he was ever not available to, to, to prep for the show. And, by the way, for him, he was always prepared for the show. And we've worked with a lot of ex-athletes, and most of the experiences have been great. I mean, they really have been. But we've worked with enough of them to know that some of them just kind of like to show up and flip the mic on – and, oh, what are we doing today? 
Um, and what time am I done? <laughs> and yeah, that, there's that a was, lot of that. Yeah, that was never yeah. that was never Cooley. Yeah, no, it, no. Chris is a great guy. I think what happened was so our initial show of him, me, and Zabe. It, it was like this arranged marriage that was thrown together. Cooley was new to radio. So a lot of this was, was probably not even his fault, but you know, there would be days like. So is he on today? Is he not here today? Is he on vacation? Is he in Wyoming? When is he back from Wyoming? There's like a lot of like little confusing, confusing things like that. So I think you got Cooley once he became used to the business. Once it was like, okay, it's him and you. I think he believed in that show a lot more. So I think, you know, that definitely worked in you guys' favor. But Cooley is one of the all-time great dudes. Always love talking to him and uh, love uh, listening to you and him all the time on the podcast. He's great. You, you know, one of the things too, Al, um, and you just mentioned it when, and it was sort of a, a shock if if we recall, because it was Andy and Zabe, first of all, coming to an yeah. end. And it was coming to an end because the, 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 you know, Red Zebra, who Dan Snyder was the majority owner of, which owned the station, which was affiliated with the team. We were the flagship of the team as well. Um, that Cooley had retired and they wanted Cooley to do the games and they were going to give him a contract, but as part of the contract, they wanted Cooley to do more. And for whatever reason, they decided, you know what, you go do uh, a show on 980. And, you know, I don't even know that Cooley really wanted to do a radio show. He just wanted to do the games yeah. and he really was sort of thrown into that thing. And as it turned out, you know, it was a good thing because I think he was very good and continues to be very good at it. Anyway, yes, very um, true. I wanted to um, just mention about the game last night because first of all, and I've got to go back and look at this. I don't know why I haven't looked at this. Uh, I gave Philadelphia out as a smell test pick on Friday and I don't at the time the line was either five and a half or six. So I either pushed it or lost it. Um, I think I probably lost that wager. Uh, I can't even find it right now. Anyway, um, but when I bet it last night, and I did like Philadelphia all day, it, the number grew to six and a half, and I bought the half point, got it to plus seven. First of all, Philly sucks. I mean, they really are a pathetic offensive team, which Galdi and I are going to talk about here in a moment. But if you didn't stay up late and you didn't witness what happened at the very end of the game, um, Philly barely could move the football, could barely score. They're down 23-9 to with a minute to go. They get the ball near midfield. With 12 seconds to go, Carson Wentz throws a Hail Mary into the end zone. Um, which is deflected into the hands of Richard Rodgers, who was a Washington football team player uh, in training camp, um, whose father is part of the coaching staff uh, for Washington, and was famous for catching one of Aaron Rodgers' Hail Mary throws against the Lions at Ford Field several years ago on either a Thursday night or a Sunday night game, I I forget. But it gets deflected. Richard Rodgers, one hand grabs it in the end zone. So now it's 23-15. to And I've got him plus seven, so I'm like, make the extra point. I'll take the push. What a gift. But no, old Doug Peterson, which <laughs> which we got to get to in a moment because, good God, this dude's insufferable. And I think if I'm an Eagle fan, I don't care what Super Bowl he won. I don't want him as my coach anymore. 
Peterson goes with the analytics down 14, go for two. If, if for those unfamiliar, a lot of the analytics people think down 14, if you score, you should go for two to try to make it a six-point deficit. Therefore, the next touchdown and an extra point wins the game. And if you miss the two-pointer, you'll have another opportunity for a two-pointer to tie. And the two-pointer probability is somewhere around 50-50. You know, I think it's this year at 48-something, but whatever. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, the, the theory is you play to win analytic analytically, you don't play for overtime in that spot. So Peterson is obviously a worshiper of everything football analytics and he goes for two and I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot it's Peterson. He's going to go for two here. So now I got a chance to win or lose no push. The push is no longer in play. And for those that had Philly plus six or plus six and a half, um, or had Seattle minus six, minus six and a half, now you're like, oh, Jesus. Um, I either have a chance or I've got a chance to win or I have act- actually have a chance to lose. And he went for two and they got it and they lost by six. Winner. <laughs> Winner for Sheehan. Yay, analytics. Oh, yay, analytics. Galdi is a disciple. Um we have to talk about Philadelphia, though, for a moment, because obviously they are in this division. Al, they're a terrible offensive football team, and what the hell happened to Carson Wentz? It is, to me, maybe the single most shocking thing in the NFL, what has happened with him. He was, he, you know, the year they won the Super Bowl, he was an MVP candidate yeah. until he got hurt. And if you'd have asked me at any point up until – I guess what the first month of this season, would you take Carson Wentz over whatever our team has at quarterback? A hundred percent. I would have said yes. And I keep waiting for this to turn around with him. I keep waiting for, okay, he's not really this bad. This is an aberration. This isn't who he is. And it's like, no, he's having a terrible year. Every indication is he's healthy enough to where this isn't like, well, he's dealing with a shoulder thing or a rib thing. And that's why he's playing like this. He sucks. He's terrible. He, his decline is one of the more inexplicable declines we've seen of like an MVP caliber quarterback. I can remember in recent history, it's really shocking what's happened with him. He has um, the yips. He's got the golf, you know, the NFL version, the quarterback version of golf yips. You know, for those of you not familiar, it's where you, as a putter in particular, you get very nervous and fidgety and you can't make a putt. You can't put a smooth stroke because of the nerves. He has that as a thrower. You can see it. He's playing very skittishly in part in his defense. They've been decimated along their offensive line. And I'm not so sure that right now Washington's skill position players aren't a lot better than Philadelphia's. Philadelphia stinks. No Zach Ertz. You know, they, they did get Jeffrey back last night. No Deshaun Jackson. They they have Dallas Goddard. They've got the rookie Jalen Rager. They have the guy, the big guy, Travis, Travis Fulgham, who's, who was playing um, when, when everybody was out. You know, I do like a lot Miles Sanders, but they, they just don't have enough around him. And he is the most sacked quarterback in the league. He's the number one turnover quarterback in the league. This was last night, if you weren't paying attention to this game. It's remarkable how this game started. Seattle's defense has struggled at times. Now, I think the addition of Carlos Dunlop's really helped them from a pass rusher standpoint. Um, but they're, they, they've been lit up 
in recent weeks. I mean, Buffalo yeah. lit him up. Um, the Cardinals lit him up a few weeks back. Um, Philadelphia's first six drives of the game, I think it's six or five. I'm going to go look it up. Three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt, three and out punt. All right, so what did I just give you? Did I just give you five straight drives? But here, but let me give you the, the yardage. First drive, three plays, five yards. By the way, you know how they gain those five yards? With a penalty. The second drive, three plays, one yard. Third drive, three plays, minus 11 yards. Fourth drive, three plays, minus four yards. Uh, fifth and final drive, three plays, eight yards. They had, with very little time left in the first half, four yards of total offense against a very average defensive football team. And then they did score on a long drive before the half, and it was 14-6. to six. But it's really... I, I, he he doesn't have a lot around him, Al, and he's got the yips right now. I mean, the issue is, like, we always think about it in this way. If he were available via trade for not a lot next year, would you take him? I still think I would if I had a quarterback need. I think because you'd be buying so low, it's it's a great upside play that you get him here, presumably for not a lot, and he could maybe find himself again. But it is alarming. I mean, I'm trying to think of like a comp. Like guys get hurt and they decline. This seems to be he has just like lost it. And, you know, you brought up the sacks. That's the other thing with him. Their offensive line isn't very good. That is true. But he holds the ball forever. That that was one of the things after Washington sacked him eight times in week one that came out. He was holding the ball routinely for like four, four and a half seconds. It's like. If you're going to do that, like Russell Wilson does that, but he makes plays, so you kind of live with that because Wilson does take some sacks. You can't take the sacks. He's been sacked 46 times. You can't take the sacks and not make the plays. Like Then it's kind of like there's no trade-off there. You're just doing something bad and making things even worse. He gets pummeled. It's it's a mess. And, of course, Peterson is an offensive-minded coach. This is supposed to be his thing. It doesn't reflect well on him that they can't fix this. Um. You know, it's funny. He the year that he, uh, you know, the t- 2017 when they won the Super Bowl, and he got hurt in the Coliseum late in the year against the Rams, and he was, you know, on his way to a potential MVP. I mean, he was 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions in 2017, and no one um, at in that moment thought that Philadelphia had done anything other than hit a home run um, in the drafting of of this guy, you know, from from North Dakota State. Um, and then, you know, he's continued to get hurt on and off, you know, last year, um, he had a good season, you know, last year he threw for over 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. The Eagles got to the playoffs. They played Seattle in a game in Philadelphia at the link, a game in which he got hurt in, but he got hurt in that game. And you could tell early in the game that they were going to have a chance to win that playoff game. Like, uh, but he got hurt and Josh McCown at 40 years old or, or whatever it was came in. And it was still, it still ended up being a relatively close game. I don't remember the final score similar to last night's game in, in many ways, but anyway, um, this year, like you mentioned the sacks, and he's been a guy that's taken sacks in the past, but to me it looks like he's expecting to get sacked every time he drops back. And so now, you know, Cooley's taught us this over the years, you've got to scheme around a bad offensive line, you know? And at the same time, it's hard if you don't have skilled position players that it can actually get separation and get open. Um, But this is where I would bring in 
Doug Peterson and say what Philadelphia fans are saying this morning, and that is they miss Frank Reich, that Frank Reich was the brains behind this operation when they won the Super Bowl. Frank Reich's responsible for them winning a Super Bowl. He's the guy that knew how to work with quarterbacks and knew how to get it done. You know, Doug Peterson has had very little success with the – now, they've gone to the playoffs – They've won divisions. They've gone to the playoffs. They've been a good December team. Um, but they've also had a really good defense in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. No, they have. Um, the thing, too, with Wentz, you brought up the skill position, guys. It's funny. I got a tweet from a listener this morning that on WIP this morning, I guess, is it Cataldi who does their mornings, whoever it is, he was raving, he was ranting about how the Eagles should have drafted Terry McLaurin in 2019 and how they screwed it up by not doing that. I can just only imagine how they're just <laughs> eviscerating the Eagles right now. That That is so true, though. They don't have a great cast of skill position guys, which, I don't know, I feel like that kind of snuck up on us because it felt like for a while they did. They've not done a great job surrounding him with pieces, but he still, to me, I, I always feel like the quarterback can overcome that. If you're really good, it doesn't matter nearly as much as people make it out to be what you are surrounded by. Your scheme matters, your offensive line matters, and you matter as a quarterback. And they're, like you said, they're not scheming around it nearly enough. He, I mean, there are throws he can't, there are plays to be made that he's not making. I mean, some of these throws last night, you're like, what, what are you doing? I mean, it's like he was throwing the game. I mean, it was like a fixed game or something. And they're in a they're in a rough way because they they signed him to a big money contract extension, you know they they, they did this Jalen Hurts thing. You all those reports on Sunday it was really odd that Hurts was going to play a lot last night and then he barely plays last night. I thought that was strange too. You could tell they're as miffed by this as we are. I don't, they don't have an answer to this. No, they don't. And you know their fan base. One of the they wanted more weapons. They wanted more. You know, and they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. You know, they passed on Justin Jefferson. I think Jeff- Jalen Rager was the pick right before Justin Jefferson, who may end up being, you know, a candidate along with Justin Herbert for Offensive Rookie of the Year. So um, they don't like the way they've drafted. There, there's one more thing on on Philadelphia, and this is, you know, this is perfect that you're on with me to talk about this because – you know, and by the way, I've I've presented your position very fairly over the years that Galdi's very much into analytics and you know advanced statistical you know information as a tool, not as you know and you know not as as a definitive. This is what you do, and you only go by the numbers. I think baseball's more of a sport than football is for that. But last night there were two different instances in the second half, in the fourth quarter, actually where our boy went for two fourth downs that to me didn't make very much sense in context first of all first of all uh, the first one was with the score 17 to 9 all right so it's 17 to 9 and by the way one of the things i've always mentioned about an 8 point game in the NFL is everybody always refers to it as a one score game i'm sure i've done it before as well but the truth of the matter is you don't know if it's a one score game and the right. odds are that more likely than not it's a two score game because the two point conversion numbers you know depending on the team you know are going to be probably just slightly less than 50-50 anyway um at 17 to 9 fourth and 2 at midfield with 14 minutes to go in the game and it's a long two he goes for it and i i was in the moment you know and i had philadelphia Getting points. I'm like, nope, your defense is playing really well. Punt the football right now. You're not going to get a fourth and two right now the way you're playing offense. And your defense has been excellent. 
punt it right here. Well, he went for it. They missed. Now they're down 20 to 9 because of the field position they gave up. Then the one that I think Philadelphia fans and anybody that was watching the game last night is really upset about. Their next drive, they get it all the way down to the Seattle 15 yard line. Almost flukish, flukishly, they're moving the football. And they've got a fourth and four at the Seattle 15, eight and a half to go, nine to go, something like that, 17 to nine. Kick the goddamn field goal. Kick the field goal. This isn't fourth and one. It's not fourth and two. I don't even know, Galdi, if fourth and four analytics even exist. Um, But I said this morning, I go, the Seth guy, I forget his name from ESPN. Yeah, um, Welder, I think. Well, Seth Welder. I'm sure yeah. he's probably out there talking about how it's the right thing to do to go for fourth and four at, based on the numbers. Kick the field goal at 17-12. Your defense is playing well. You're going to get the ball back. By the way, 17-9, to it may not be a t- uh, it, more likely than not the way you're playing offense. It's a two-score game anyway. You're going to need a field goal anyway because you're not going to make the two-point conversion. Anyway, he goes for it on fourth and four. They miss, um, and that was really uh, effectively the end of the game. And I think Peterson is just one of these guys that thinks he's so much smarter than the room you know, and, you know, if you're not sure, just ask him. And he's going by the book regardless of what the context is. It was it was a, a terrible decision, I thought, in the moment last night, especially the second one at fourth and four. The play was hysterical, too, because Wentz throws oh. a pick in the end zone right to Quandre Diggs. There's, like, literally no eagle around Diggs. I mean, again, <laughs> it was like he was shaving points last night. Yeah, you're right. Fourth and four is not the same as fourth and one, fourth and two. In a vacuum, the general thing with analytics and fourth downs is this. In a vacuum, teams have been way too conservative over the years going forward, especially on fourth and one, fourth and two. But in football, very clearly, context matters. So where you are in the game, what the score is, how your offense is doing, how the defense is doing, all of that matters. So you can't just say, like, whenever it's fourth and two from the 40 and beyond, you go for it. You can't say that. The context is always imperative. I think the fourth and fourth, the 15, like you said, that's the one that you really say, okay, it, it's not fourth and one. It is fourth and four. It's not like you're down by 30. You know, you're down by, what was it? It was eight at that point. Yeah. Kick the field goal. It's eight and a half minutes left. It's not like there's three minutes left. You definitely could have done that. Peterson is, there are like three teams in the NFL. And it's interesting. NFL teams are very hush-hush about their analytics. There are believed to be three teams that are super into analytics. Baltimore, the, Philly, and, and who, who's the third? New England. And yeah. and Belichick has been into it for years, and he has purposely downplayed it, and he never talks about it. But everyone believes that Belichick is into it because he's done things for years. There was that famous game against the Colts, if you remember, years oh, ago, yeah. uh, where he went for it. On, Deep uh, in his he, own territory. Exactly. And people killed him for it. And the truth was he was like years ahead of his time in doing something like that. But the Eagles are – they, they are like – what the Rays or the A's are in baseball, that's what the Eagles are with with Peterson, with uh, Howie Roseman, their former team president, Joe Banner, was a big analytics guy years ago. And so they do stuff like this, and they're not going to apologize for it. But I do think, to your point, fourth and fourth, the 15, down by eight, eight and a half minutes left. Like, yeah, you can kick the field goal there. It's okay. You know, um, First of all, the funny thing about Belichick, um, Harbaugh, to me, Harbaugh and Peterson at Baltimore and Philadelphia are very similar. Like on the the the, the score based analytics um, 
uh, decisions, you know, they're very much uh, teams that are going to go for two, down 14, et cetera. Uh, Belichick's not going to do that. He's going to kick the extra point. Uh, I'm almost positive. Uh, I Maybe somebody would point out an example where he didn't. Um, but at, at, one of the things I was looking for is I was looking for the box score from the playoff game that Seattle played Philadelphia in last year because I remember it at the end of the game there was a similar situation that I got very frustrated at, frustrated at with Peterson. And here it is. In the playoff game, which, by the way, that was Josh McCown, uh, by the way, last night, too, fourth and four, sh- a, a condensed field all right, in the red zone where your receivers haven't been able to get separation all night on a field that was much longer. So, again, context, are you really going to pick that up? More likely than not, no. In the playoff game last year, and I had Philadelphia two plus the points against Seattle in the playoff game, I remember this, um, it was 17-9, to the exact same score. Late in the game, not nine minutes, six and a half minutes to go, fourth and four at the Seattle 24 with Josh McCown at quarterback. And I remember screaming, kick the field goal, kick the field goal. Your defense is playing well. You're going to get a chance to get the ball back. Um, And he went for it, same situation, fourth and four, and it, it wasn't intercepted. It was incomplete. Isn't that strange that they had identical, with three minutes difference on the clock, situations with the exact same score against the exact same team? Actually, um, uh, the fourth and two was 17 to nine. Uh, uh, Fourth and four last night was, it was 20 to nine at that point. But still, um, anyway, uh, I thought that was uh, interesting. Uh, You know what's interesting, too, by the way, while we're talking about this? So you brought up going forward on two. So obviously you've been able to go for two for a while in the NFL, and it's it's been understood that like analytically teams should go for two more than they do for a while. It's it's interesting to me that teams have not gotten appreciably better at two point conversions. Like it's been about a fifty percent proposition for years now, and like in, in the way you know in the NFL, like kicking field goals has become much more efficient over time, and it used to be like. Making a 40-yarder was a big deal, and now it's not. And uh, kickers' percentages have shot up over the last 20, 30 years. I know it's not been that long for having two-point conversions, but you should go for it more on two when you're more certain of being successful in going for it on two. And I think it's worth noting, teams aren't really getting that much better at it. Like, the percentage has been pretty consistent for the time that we've had that. And until it improves, I, I, don't, I, I think that has to be looked at. If it's like a 48 49% deal – well, that matters. Like, it's one thing if you're, if you as a team are like, okay, this is a 60% probability we're going to convert on this because we have a, a group of plays that we really like in going forward on two. You don't have that. Like, it's kind of a coin flip for a lot of these teams. And I, I think that's something to, to look at. Like, teams, they're not getting better at this. And I, I don't really get that. Well, first of all, it's become more of a thing, too, in recent years when they pushed the PAT, the, 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 the kick to extra point back. Um, because that percentage fell a little bit, not a lot. It's still in the 94, 95% range versus yeah. maybe it used to be at 97, 98, whatever it was. It's it's still a near certainty on the kicked extra point <clears throat> in terms of percentage. The two-point, and I just pulled up the two-point conversion rate, the, the numbers for 2018 and 2019 were 40, basically averaged right around 49%. So a little bit less than 50-50, which, by the way, would automatically, right, you know, um, the fact that it is less than 50-50 on the going for two down 14, 
you know, it's it's not the probability play. But, but beyond that, the issue here is that against some teams with some plays in some situations, you might be a 60% two-point conversion team. But against other teams in different situations, you know, a better defensive team, you know, a, a, a worse matchup for you in a short yardage situation, you might be a 40% team, you know, as yeah. a two-point. So that's where all of that stuff and, and your coach has to know. Peterson does not care about any of that. I actually think he's in a bit of trouble. I know it's crazy to say that. Do you really? Um, it, 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 to me, if I'm uh, if I'm the owner, if I'm Jeffrey Lurie, and I'm and I and I don't know what Lurie is in terms of how big of a football fan, I would be so frustrated watching Peterson coach my team, and I would have to know more about what Frank Reich really meant. I think Frank Reich is an excellent head coach. Um, I think that's a very good staff, too, in Indianapolis. Uh, by the way, Philadelphia is very good defensively. They have good talent. Derek Barnett's turning into a monster. And Schwartz has done a good job as a D coordinator almost everywhere he's been. That's the strength of their football team. It's not Doug Peterson's offense at all. Not even close. And really, yeah, although, although last night, Darius Slay got abused by DK Metcalf. And I know it's Metcalf, but Slay was in, was exposed big time. You know, it's, it, it's funny because in watching the game, um, first of all, DK Metcalf's an impossible matchup, and I don't know why Philadelphia was in as much man coverage as they were in. Um, but it was funny because there were a lot of plays where Slay was really close. Like he was closer than a lot of corners may have been and just couldn't make the play because Metcalf's so good. He's a freak. Yeah. He's a freak. Um, wanted to just mention this real quickly. So uh, the updated odds, my bookie, all right, I'm on mybookie.ag right now. Here are the updated NFC East odds as of December 1st at December 1st at 1 p.m. And that's when we're recording this right now. The favorite, according to my bookie, the Giants are plus 200. Washington is plus 210. So there's a very small difference between New York and Washington. The Eagles are now plus 260, and the Cowboys are plus 475. So for those, again, that need the explanation, the Giants are a slight favorite over Washington, and then a more a bigger favorite over Philadelphia, and the Cowboys now are the long shot. Still, Galdi, I'll tell you, man, to, to be this late in the season, and you're in December, to see three teams that are basically really close together on the division yeah. race, um, is odd. It, you know, not odd to see two teams that way, um, but to see three that way. Um, I'm actually surprised after the injury to Daniel Jones, and I guess there is a chance he might play, but he needs to be mobile to be effective. I'm actually surprised that Washington's not the favorite right now, um, which leads me to this. I'm going to ask you the question that I asked Tommy yesterday on the podcast and asked callers on the radio show, and I'll just simplify it for you. Do you think they're going to win the division, yes or no, and why? Uh, I do think they're going to win the division, and I think the reason they're going to win the division is because their quarterback situation, incredibly, is the best in the division in terms of where we're at right now, rest of this regular season, which I would have never thought we would say. Yet you tell me, if you can pick one of the four quarterback situations in this division for this stretch run, which one are you picking? Like, which one do you feel the best about? Dallas has got Andy Dalton. Philadelphia's got a mess with Carson Wentz. 
the Giants have uncertainty now with Daniel Jones. Um, I know Jordan Ronan, who I know you've talked to in the past, ESPN Giants insider says it's significant enough to where Jones is expected to miss some time. What that means, we don't know, but it doesn't sound like it'll be just a one-week thing. You know, who knows? And then you have our situation where we've got Alex Smith and, you know, dynamic, no, but he has shown an ability to be so. We saw that in the Giants game and the Detroit game. Running the offense efficiently, high completion percentage. You know, this stuff about his leadership and the intangibles seems very legit. I mean, they talk about him in like, you know, a godlike way. I mean, it really is remarkable sometimes the way he gets spoken about. I mean, Chase Young after Thanksgiving putting out a tweet, I love me some 11. Like, it wasn't even that big of a game for Alex. And yet Chase Young saw fit to put something like that out there. Like, it tells you the impact he has. I think they feel really good about their quarterback situation. It's not a great offense, but I think it is an improving offense. It's not an elite defense, but I think it is a good defense, and it's an improving defense. I think they're going to do it. Um, and I, I tell you, the other thing, too, is it kind of feels like one of those years where they've got things working in their favor, things like you know some of these quarterback injuries in the division, things like, Eagles getting worse as the season goes on, not better. Something like this Rivera cancer thing, which, you know, I know it's kind of cliche, but it's kind of a rallying thing maybe for them, you know, and they sort of gravitate towards Ron. Like it never feels like Ron for all the confusion of this year. He's never lost a team. Like I feel pretty confident in saying that we would have heard rumblings and stuff like that. We've heard nothing Nothing. in that regard. They seem to have a lot of little things like that kind of falling into place for them. And so I think they're going to do it. I'm not sure what it means, but I do think they're going to do it. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I do too. I mean, I I shared with Tommy and on the radio show yesterday my reasons for it. Um, It's funny because this will be a segue into something that Ron Rivera said during his presser yesterday that I spent some time on earlier this morning on on the show. But I I think there are a couple of things – I think the Daniel Jones injury is huge. Uh, I actually, you know, before Jones got injured on Sunday, I think the Giants were the best team and playing the best. It was close, but it'd be hard to say that Washington was the best team and playing the best when they had recently lost two games to the Giants. So I, I really felt, and and I and I could see it coming with them. They, they, by the way, there is a no-nonsense approach with Joe Judge that we're starting to learn about as well. Um, you know, uh, Golden Tate, the way he handled that situation, left him at home uh, when he got a little bit too uh, self-absorbed. Um, but I would have, I would have said the Giants. But I think the, the Jones injury is big. But um, beyond that, there is a, um, there's something about this team uh, right now over the last couple of games, and we may be totally fooled. And I reserve the right to change my mind after watching them play good teams, which are coming up. Pittsburgh, we're going to get to the changes in the schedule here in a moment. Pittsburgh and San Francisco, who's very good defensively. They're they're getting healthy, too. And then Seattle. And maybe it'll all fall apart, etc. But Ron Rivera's teams from afar have always been this way. There's like a toughness about them. There is a discipline about him. And, you know, caller called in yesterday and said, yeah, well, what about the 15-yard penalty on Chase Young? 
Young at the end of the Detroit game. And you can point out examples, but they're very, very good as a tackling team right now. Um, they, they have this stuff that travels, not that traveling means much in this year's NFL, but they have this stuff that, that has staying power in December. They're tough, they're physical, they tackle well defensively, they're disciplined. And then, as you mentioned, they have a veteran quarterback who shockingly is playing at a high level, which nobody saw coming. Um, if, if some of you did out there, God bless you, because most of us thought he was done. Um, and then on top of that, Galdi, you know, something that I think we've talked about off the air together, maybe their weapons, which were a big question mark in August are pretty good. Terry McLaurin's a star Gibson's really good and versatile. McKissick is really good and versatile. Logan Thomas is coming on like they're not void of skill, make skill position, talent offensively and the offensive line has held up and performed pretty well. And then I would add to this, I think Scott Turner's doing a hell of a job, actually. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the the schedules for all these teams, I mean, Philly, I think, after last night is done. I mean, they play the Packers and the Saints the next two weeks. You know, they're going to be 3-9-1. and one. Could they win then their final three games, which includes, you know, a game against the Cardinals and then they get the Cowboys in Washington? I don't think so. I think they are uh, imploding, actually. Of course, it's a week-to-week week league that could change next week but I think there's something about this group and I think that the credit goes to Ron Rivera and that leads me into this so I I pulled out this quote and played it this morning um, on the air and I'm just going to read it to everybody in his Monday presser yesterday which wasn't the typical postgame presser because that came on Friday he was asked about all of the schedule changes. And for those that don't know, Washington-Pittsburgh is now a Monday 5 p.m. game. It's because Baltimore and Pittsburgh, that game's not going to happen tonight. Too bad because it would have been a good snow game. It's going to happen tomorrow afternoon at 3.40 p.m. I had John Oran from the Sports Business Journal on the show this morning. The reason it's 3.40 p.m. tomorrow is because the NFL could have played it in prime time, but because they've asked their network partners for so much flexibility during this COVID-19 season, uh, they did not, NBC wanted to keep the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center. That That's show, so good. That yeah. show they need to keep in that time spot. Uh, it drew 7 million viewers last year, even though the NFL game would, would crush it. But they, that's why it's, it starts at 3.40. So anyway, Pittsburgh, Washington is now Monday. Even before he was asked yesterday, um, or even before the schedule change came, he was asked about how you're dealing with, you know, the possibility of schedule changes and, you know, the league, you know, keeping you out of the facility for two days. And he said the following. He said, quote, you've got to talk about it. That's really the only thing we've done is talk about the situation we're in and try to make sure guys understand how important it is to be adaptable. That's the biggest thing. I've told the coaches this, and I've told the players this. We can't make a big deal if something changes. When you start worrying about that, what was interesting becomes important. That's not what we want to happen. It's not important. It's interesting. It's different. Okay, we deal with it, and we move on. That's the thing. It's like having been in Carolina and having been in certain place, places that didn't have indoor facilities, you still have to go out and practice in the elements. If you make a big deal about practicing in the elements, you're not going to have a good practice. That's what we've got to be able to do. We've got to focus and handle the situation, closed quote. 
And I talked about this this morning on my show for 30 minutes because I loved that quote. And, you know, I think you and I were on the same page when they hired Rivera. I was in favor of it. I, I liked it. I thought they outkicked their coverage. I thought it was a guy that was going to bring um, a toughness and a discipline and an accountability and a maturity to the organization or at least to the football side of the organization that didn't exist. And it's been a crazy year because – you know, there were times early this season, whether it was bailing at the end of the games, not calling timeouts, or all the mixed messaging during his press conferences, you know, as he's fighting cancer and probably isn't totally with it, where I had some concerns. But the last five weeks, the decision to bench Dwayne, the way they're playing, saying things like this leads me and confirms in my mind that they got the right guy because we've all been around people that you know and you'll 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 witness this when your kids get older um although in the Galdi household there is a a firm hand uh in the Galdi household so uh, trust trust me i i am a feckless leader <laughs> i'm like jake rudin they don't listen to me. well it's like you know i can just you know one of my three boys uh how'd you do on that test well you know uh, on on the practice test, they they didn't give out like the problems that were on the real test. And when I went to the you know the and took the practice test the day before the review, she didn't go over the things that some of the problems that they had. You know, it's just always you know there was always excuses. This is not an excuse guy, and the people they're looking for in this organization, players wise, aren't excuse makers. And by the way. It's one of the reasons we haven't heard a lot of, you know, yapping about Jack Del Rio on Twitter or some of the things that were going on earlier in the year. We're not hearing from any players this year. There are no leaks except for the the, the Dwayne leaks from the team um, and probably from some in the coaching staff. And he's been a little bit sensitive to some of the media criticism, which bothers me a little bit. But I think they got the right guy. What do you think? Yeah, I do. Um, And and just to kind of piggyback on something you just talked about when it comes to like guys with the right approach. So I think this is such a big part of why Dwayne Haskins got benched. I I know I may be in the minority on this. I don't think that Ron from the get-go was like, I don't really think Dwayne's a guy. I think he gave him a good faith chance at being the guy. And I think the reason he got benched so quickly wasn't just that the performance was, you know, mediocre at best. And you go by like the numbers, it was terrible, but you know, I didn't think he was actually that bad, but it was because Dwayne did not reward the faith that Ron showed in him and did not mirror it, did not reflect it with the work ethic, with the preparation. Like there was a reciprocity that Ron was looking for that Dwayne did not show. And when Dwayne did not display that, that's when Ron said, all right, the heck with this guy. I think Ron is furious at Dwayne, or at least was furious at Dwayne. Uh, I stood by you. I supported you. You know, we didn't even necessarily make you compete in training camp. And then this is what you do. You don't uh, spend the time at the facility we want you to spend. You don't prepare. You have a guy right in front of your face, Alex Smith, who's showing you how to do this, and you're not just mimicking what he's doing. And so I think that stuff matters to him a ton. And to have that right mindset and that right attitude and that right approach, and you're not an excuse maker, you know, you just shut up and do the work. Like, I think that matters to him so much. And like hearing those quotes, because I'm, I'm with you, and I, I played some of that on my show today, and it is telling, and it is what you want to hear. And I think that matters a lot. You know, I think back to like the offseason where guys like Trent Williams and Quentin Dunbar wanted contract extensions. 
And it's not just that Ron didn't even give it to those guys. It's that he didn't even negotiate with those guys. He said, the hell with you. And he got rid of them. He traded them. And, you know, you could argue he he shouldn't have been so quick to trade some of them. And, and, you know, especially with Dunbar, you're like, well, why didn't they get more for him? Although what ended up happening with him legally, maybe you understand. But you get the idea of, like, Ron, he's not interested in playing little games with you, you know? And if you're not going to reward him with, you know, being the kind of player and the kind of like, you know, teammate, locker room, citizen, whatever you want to say, then he's kind of done with you. And he doesn't really have a lot of use for you. And I think that's kind of what those quotes that you just read were speaking toward. And when we talk about the culture, which, you know, comes up all the time and justifiably so, I think that is such a big part of it. I will never forget two years ago when Jay was here late in the 18 season and he reveals after a practice that players were complaining about the practice. They were complaining about how it was too hard and why do we have to wear pads on back-to-back days? And he says this, and, you know, I I don't know. He got asked about why he was speaking to his team. I remember Tarek asked him, "Uh, we saw you speaking to your players after practice. What was that about? And and Jay admitted to what it was about. And it's like, it's not just that they were complaining about it, which, which is so revealing about the kind of people that were on the team. It's also that they felt comfortable complaining to Jay about it. Like, what does that say about the environment Jay's presiding over that players felt comfortable voicing displeasure with how hard practices are when Washington, by the way, was still in the midst of a playoff push and was incorporating a number of new players into the team. And it was like, hey, maybe you could use the extra practice. And so it's like, you got to get away from that stuff. And I think this is all a part of that. And so, yeah, like the bigger picture thing of the culture and, and creating an environment of accountability and attention to detail and those things, I think this speaks to that, and it's it's what this team has needed. You know um, that that incident, you know, in in that season, it was DJ Swearinger who spoke out about it and said we need to be practicing. And remember what happened to him; he ends up getting cut um, on Christmas Eve. But I think one of the one of the things that you and I both probably obsess too much about for our listeners' taste, but whatever is old man Bill Callahan and all of his, you know, incredibly lengthy uh, press conferences. Um, And one of my favorites was his very first, which honestly was like a, you know, an hour, 15 minute lecture, Yeah, you know, um, you know, at, at Taws at Maryland. And you're like, you're like, when is this going to end? But he needed to tell everybody just how dreadful it was under Jay, you know, with all of his, you know, slight digs. And then, you know, basically two months later, they scored their first touchdown on offense, you know, so it was pretty funny, the whole thing. But I, um, I, I really, I, I, you know, somebody, um, I was looking at Twitter earlier and said, man, when it comes to Rivera, you're wishy-washy. I'm not wishy-washy. Okay. I liked the hire. I thought it was the right hire. I thought it was the best that they could do. I was surprised they did as well as they did. But if you're not, you know, taking in new information and listening, um, especially as that person gets closer, because that person was in Charlotte and that wasn't our team and we're not following the day-to-day granular detail of everything that's going on. But there were moments, certainly during the course of this year, that were concerning to me um, and, and, and should, should have been concerning to me in my, in my view. But I think what we, we are seeing is we're seeing the team that had a 1-5 in five record Continue to get better, continue to get better while never complaining, getting better in spots that really do, do for, you know, it, it, at least figuratively travel um, in December. And fortunately for them, because the division's so bad, 
it's not going to be a typical, you know, first year of a coach where they start off poorly and then they start playing better and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel for the next year. They can actually take advantage of it in this first year by getting to the postseason. First of all, playing games that matter in December. Um, back to Dwayne for one moment. I don't know what he thought when he took uh, took it over, but I can't imagine with the way it ended in the way he threw or somebody in that organization threw Dwayne under the bus publicly with the leaks, which obviously has been um, you know, a constant during the Dan Snyder era. I can't imagine that he, he, he thought deep down with all of what he knows goes into making the kind of player that can play for him, I can't imagine that he thought there was a very good chance it was going to work out. You know, he may have been... Well, let's give it a try. Dan wants me to give it a try, and we don't really, you know, we, we're going to trade for Kyle in case it really gets bad, um, and we can play him. But you know, this is a developmental year, and I'm going to give him a shot. He was the first round choice, but I think deep, deep down, he knew that this was not going to work, and that's what bothers me, Al. Is you know, sometimes really, and it go, it, 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 you can say the same thing about businesses that some of you all are in, you know, if you're hiring people or or somebody works for you, if it's, if you know, deep in your gut, it's not the right fit, cut bait, man. It's better for you and your organization. And it's better for that person as well. And I don't look, he cut bait pretty quickly. You know, he cut, he didn't cut bait as quickly as, as Marty cut it with, with Jeff George, which was after one game, it took four games. So I do give him credit for moving on after four games and not having it be a whole season once he became totally clear that it wasn't going to work. But I think at some point, you know, in, in a conversation, you, the maturity is the issue. There's no way that Dwayne's maturity in a conversation, in a Zoom call, at some point in June, July, or August, didn't make Ron think, eh, I don't think so. I, I, I just think that it, it's only natural to believe that if the maturity was the issue, then um, it, it was probably recognized much earlier. Anyway. Yeah, it, it's it's very possible. I, I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm too uh, naive. But when Ron, you know, his the way he talked about Dwayne in the offseason changed. It changed significantly, and he went from like constantly lecturing Dwayne, "You need to be more of a leader. You need to put in more time," to then saying Dwayne was doing those things. And I remember during the George Floyd, you know, social justice time, he started talking about how Dwayne had transformed as a person. And it was so great to see him out there protesting in D.C. And, like, he was gushing about Dwayne. It was, it was like he didn't have to say those things, and yet he said those things. And then they go to camp, and they don't even have a competition. They give him every first-team rep. And I, I guess I'm like, if they really had doubts, they had a funny way of showing it. I mean, they didn't bring in any other veteran quarterback. They made the trade for Kyle Allen, but that was it. I mean, we had no idea about Alex Smith. They could have signed Cam Newton. They could have tried to bring in somebody else. They didn't try at all. I guess I just I'm more open to this thing of he thought Dwayne might be it, and Dwayne just really thoroughly disappointed him. But we'll we'll find out at some point. We'll find out at some point. I don't know that we know yet. Um, yeah, I I think it's over. 
I mean, you you believe yeah. that too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, and I and I wonder, and I hope for Dwayne's um, uh, in Dwayne's case, I, I hope it, he gets a chance where the organization is totally supportive and somebody's there to champion his cause. And I hope also he's grown from this experience because it's not always a lock that that'll happen. You know. Um, because there's talent there. I don't think there's any doubt that there's some talent there. Uh, all right. I want you to give some thought to the following question uh, because we're going to just take two minutes and talk about the rest of the league. Give me something here after week 11 or 11, week 12, 11 games with one left to play. Give me something that you're really convinced you think you know right now about the rest of the league, a team, a player, whatever. Um, I'll answer it, and Galdi will answer it right after I tell you about Window Nation. Uh, Window Nation's got the best of both of their best deals of the year going on simultaneously right now, and that is buy two, get two free, and no interest for five full years. So you're not going to pay any interest for five full years. And for every two windows you buy, you get two free. If you buy 10 new windows, you get five free. You'll actually save the equivalent of $5,000 in interest alone over the five years. So if you've been thinking about new windows, call Window Nation, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Tell them that I told you to call. You'll get a free estimate, so there's no risk. You can have them come into your home. They'll follow all CDC guidelines, or you can uh, get a virtual quote online. Uh, they can do that as well. But it's the best of their uh, best offers of the year here at the end of the year. Buy two, get two free with no limit, and zero interest for five full years. Window Nation, 866-90-NATION, or windownation.com. All right. Um, give me. I did. I did want to talk briefly with you about Kirk Cousins, since yes, we are, 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 are of like minds. Um, it's actually uh, interesting. The Athletic wrote a story yesterday. I think late yesterday about Cousins, um, about the eternal sort of seesaw back and forth between is he good or is he great? And with the Kirk haters, it's is he good or is he or is he just terrible or mediocre? Um, right. Right. The, the truth of the matter is um, Cousins is having a spectacular last month. I mentioned yesterday and it angered a bunch of people, Galdi, but I said he actually has had the kind of month where I'm sure he's under consideration for NFC Offensive Player of the Month, which would drive people nuts. Um, but he's been lights out over the last, uh, during the month of November. Um, during the month of November, he's completing like 73% of his passes, 12 touchdowns, one interception. They're 4-1. and one. The game they lost to Dallas was not on him. Um, you know, the people that watch that game know what happened. He had two drop balls on the final drive when they were down three, and their defense couldn't get Dallas off the field. Um, but it is, isn't it an interesting thing about Cousins and how polarized a figure he's he's become and and the reasons for it which to me are all money-based more than anything else uh i think they're money-based i think they're also based for a lot of people on who he replaced and who he ended up being better than i think a lot of people a lot of people yeah a lot of washington fans feel really duped that they bought into all the RG3 stuff and they defended Robert when, you know, he was feuding with the Shanahan's and they got proven wrong. And like, there are a lot of people I think who are bitter about that. And so I think that's where a lot of this Kirk stuff comes from. The other thing with Kirk is this, and I don't know why this is. He does this. He always 
starts off slow, it feels like. And then in the second halves of season surges, he did it here in 2015. He did it again in 2016. It's seemingly happening again this year with the Vikings where they got off to the bad start and he wasn't playing particularly well. And yet here he is now statistically creeping up the leaderboards. You know, he's had three touchdown passes in each of his last five home games. He's among the league leaders in yards per pass attempt. Like he is leading the way. Dalvin Cook has kind of calmed down a little bit. You know, people say, oh, well, it's just because Dalvin Cook is so great. That definitely helps. But Cook has actually slowed down a little bit these last few games. Kirk is not. And, you know, to your thing of is he good or great or is he good or awful or however you want to frame it, I think with Kirk, like, you you have to stop focusing on what he isn't, which is he isn't elite, and just focus on what he is, which is, like we always said, he's a top 12, maybe top 10, depending on the season, quarterback. And he's not the best of the bunch, but he's better than a lot of people. He's better, truthfully, than most starting quarterbacks, and you can win with him. And I just think, like, it's time to just acknowledge this. You don't have to be top five to be really good. And to me, he's a guy who right now is certainly playing at a high level. And can you do better? Sure. You can also do a lot worse. And I, 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 I would love to know this. You asked the Vikings, do they regret signing Kirk? Do they regret having him as their starter? You know, and I know with our team, for all of the criticism, we have not come close to him since he left you not even remotely close to him and you know I think we both know this and I think many people listening know this if they had just kept Kyle and Kirk uh, we would have the last seven six seven years would have been much better than they turned out to be no you know it's funny out because um, I pay attention a little bit um, to what's going on and the the Vikings fan base is very similar to the Washington fan base when it comes to him there mm-hmm. are the devout Kirkers um, that are absolutely convinced that you can't do better and that he's much better than Case Keenum was even though Keenum took him to the NFC championship game they'll you know they'll compare the defenses and the offensive line that Keenum had versus Cousins etc cetera, etc cetera. so he's he's in that same you know, uh, environment there where there are mass believers and there are mass naysayers. I did read this. I just wanted to share this with everybody. Kirk Cousins after Sunday is now the sixth highest, has the sixth highest career passer rating in NFL history. (laughs) He trails only Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Drew Brees. Anyway, uh, I digress. I think um, one of the more interesting things about what you said about starting early, uh, starting poorly early, and it hasn't always been that way necessarily. Like they... His first year in Minnesota, he was lights out early, um, and then they faded late. Um, this year, they had a lot of changes. Uh, you know, no Stefan Diggs, changes along the offensive line, and major changes on defense. Um, I think one of the more interesting things, and I haven't said this before, but I was listening to uh, – because on, on a lot of Mondays, I'll listen to various coaches that I like. And it's really odd that I like Mike Zimmer because a lot of Vikings fans don't. And, by the way, I yeah. think he's way too conservative. But I think he's one of these no-nonsense guys who is a very, very good and exceptional defensive mind and defensive coach. I really think he is. Anyway, uh, Gary Kubiak is the offensive coordinator there. One of the things he said uh, in a very subtle way is that sometimes the narrative on Cousins is that you have to have 
everything around him be great for him to succeed. And the truth is that it's when they haven't had a lot around him. Like he didn't have Adam Thielen on Sunday. He didn't have Irv Smith. He didn't have one of his best offensive linemen. They were thin offensively. Dalvin Cook got hurt during the game. That it's been in those cases in Minnesota where he has actually elevated the team. And yep. he's actually – they were last year in a game in which they were, they were losing players. They were down 23 nothing to Denver, a good defensive team. And he strapped them to their back, and they scored 27 unanswered. They're down 11 in the fourth quarter the other day. Um, they don't have a lot going on, and he strapped them to, to his back and led them to a comeback win. You know, it's like his 16th fourth quarter comeback of his career. It's not like he's got two or three. Um, but I think that that's, that's an interesting – thing that that often people will say, well, you know, Shanahan always said it. If you put a good team around him, you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. You know, that was his his famous line um, here when he was here. And I think one of the things that, that people have found out at times in Minnesota, and we even found it out, you know, a couple of times here, where sometimes when you don't have a lot around him, you say, just go back there and sling it. He can actually do it. Here's what he has, and one of the reasons he's been success, successful. He is an incredibly accurate quarterback and an accurate thrower of the football. And that is something that a lot of people will tell you. And this guy, you know, Shanahan's told me that before. Um, the guy that I love from Pro Football Focus, even though I don't believe in a lot of the Pro Football Focus numbers, the guy Sam Monson, the Irish guy, yeah. it, it has said it a number of times. Other people have said it. Accuracy, if you don't have it, um, it's really hard to coach it up better. Mm-hmm. And Kirk is tremendously accurate as a passer. It's probably that in his mind are his two greatest greatest strengths. And he's got a you know a fairly quick release, but man, is he accurate. And Minnesota's dangerous. So that leads me to this. Um, and we'll finish up this show, and I appreciate you spending so much time. Give me something about the NFL, you know, not Washington related, that you really believe in right now that you're going to be right and be proven right at the end of the year about. All right. So, well, okay, this is more long term than the end of the year. So I guess I'll give you something else if this doesn't fit. But okay. Tua Tunga Vailoa. Yeah. Tua Tunga Vailoa not starting this past Sunday due to injury, five games and four starts into his career. I think the exact reasons that. I didn't want Washington to draft him, and I think you did too, that he cannot stay healthy. I, I think that to me like just validated it for me. And I know it's like it's one game. It's like, come on, calm down from that. But first of all, they benched him for performance reasons the previous game, which I didn't think got nearly enough attention. But that this guy already has to miss a game. It was just a thumb injury. It's like it's not a big deal. But he's always nicked up. And I know for our team, like any debate that was there, even knowing now what we know about this Haskins thing, that they took Chase Young and not Tua Tungavailoa. Like if you had any doubts or you had concerns about that, that this guy four starts into his career already has to be inactive due to some injury like that. I don't know. I just I felt like that was so telling. And it, it kind of felt like to me assurance from the football gods that, yeah, Tua might be all right when he's healthy, but it's that when he's healthy part that is really going to be a challenge for him in his career. Well, and that's a perfect segue back to the continuation of the love fest that we had for Kirk Cousins. He's never missed games. He never misses games. He never misses never. games. Um, anyway, um, uh, that, no, that, to- that, that totally fits. Anything you were going to say was going to fit. So 
I I said something to Tommy in passing, I think, on the show yesterday that I was thinking about, and somebody questioned me about. Um, uh, I think it was a friend of mine said so I was listening to the podcast, and I would still, and he said I would still take defense and running the football over what you said. And what I said was this, and I don't even know if I articulated it, to, it well enough um, based on what I believe. And it ha- it sort of became clear to me on Sunday. I'm watching um, the Chiefs in the 4 o'clock window against the Bucks, and I watched part of the, the Packers game b- before it got out of hand Sunday night. I like, When I watch Kansas City and Green Bay, these two teams, it's like a fluke when they have to punt. And I just don't see how they're going to lose a playoff game. And I never used to feel this way. I used to always feel... If you can run the football and you can play really good defense, you can win the Super Bowl, and that's a better model. And and I still believe in that model to a certain degree. And could they run it into Tennessee, Kansas City in the AFC title game or the AFC divisional round, and they can't get Derrick Henry off the field and the clock's moving and the game's shortened, and then there's a fluke at the end and Tennessee wins you know, on a 60-yard field? Of course, these things could happen. But right now, I think the NFL has evolved into if you've got an Aaron Rodgers or you've got a Patrick Mahomes, and more importantly for Mahomes, if you have a guy like Tyreek Hill who is truly uncoverable, like this is one of the guys in the league, you know, you can cover some receivers. You can't cover Tyreek Hill. Like it's almost impossible to stop Tyreek Hill. And then you have the all-time, one of the all-time great already quarterbacks and play extenders in Mahomes. And I just don't see how anybody's going to beat the Chiefs in the postseason. And for that matter, Green Bay's a little bit different because they don't have the same level of weaponry, I guess, that Mahomes has. And Mahomes is almost even compared to Rodgers. You know, at this point, like almost a, a, a step above, and Rodgers is fabulous. But there are teams now, and those are the two that stick out. And Baltimore, when they're really, you know, running the football, but in terms of being able to throw the football, it's like a fluke to get them off the field. And so that's how I feel when I'm watching the game. I know they punt occasionally, they do, and it's usually a penalty or a series of penalties, you know, or a bad snap that derails them. It's never like, oh, you stop them. It's like they stop themselves. I just find it hard to believe that those that Kansas City's not going to be in the Super Bowl. Um, and that in the NFC, I sort of feel the same way about Green Bay now. And they're not nearly the team that Kansas City is. And they are also vul- vulnerable defensively. Like, they have trouble stopping people. But ultimately, like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, I don't – it's like if you can't get them off the field, if you can't force them to punt, how can you possibly win that game over 60 minutes without it being a fluke? That's what I sort of feel like watching those two players and those two teams. So it was, they're my Super it was, Bowl pick. It yeah. was frightening what Mahomes and Hill were doing to the Bucks in that first quarter. And, you know, in this NFL, I mean, here you have, right, Todd Bowles, who everybody thinks is good, and this Bucks defense, which we thought was good, and they get just shellac like that. It's remarkable that you see that, but that's kind of what the NFL is now, where even the best defenses get got. Like, you know, the Colts have a good defense, and yet Derrick Henry ran over them on Sunday. Like, that's just kind of how it is now. We don't have this every year, but this Chiefs-Steelers potential AFC title game, it's one of the great heavyweight 
battles that I think we've had in a while. Where, where like they are clearly the two best teams in that conference, probably the two best teams in the league. And I hope it does come down to those two teams in the AFC title game because that would be such a great matchup. And I, I'm not saying the Steelers could match the Chiefs' firepower, but you know Ben with Claypool and Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith-Schuster, like that could be a ton of fun if, in fact, we get that game. See, I think – look, I, I think that would be a massive – appeal heavyweight matchup build is you know potentially an undefeated team against the defending Super Bowl champions with one loss right I mean that's what it could end up being um I just don't see I see Pittsburgh potentially losing a game before they really? even get to that game I could see Tennessee beating Pittsburgh I could see Indy beating Pittsburgh I could Indy, see, really yeah I, I could see Buffalo maybe beating Pittsburgh I can't see any of those teams beating Kansas City. And I just there there's like something the Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Kelsey, you know, all of their weapons and now, you know, Edwards Alaire, etc. Um I just think Kansas City to me and Green Bay in the NFC because of what they can do offensively, I'd be shocked if if one of them isn't in the Super Bowl. And more importantly, and I would lean Kansas City, I'd be very, very surprised if Kansas City's not in the Super Bowl. And I think it would take like an all-time inside straight to beat them. And last year, keep in mind, right, Tennessee had the inside straight against Baltimore. They ran it down their throat. They kept the ball away from them. They forced Lamar Jackson to play from behind. Um, But they couldn't do that to Kansas City. They got ahead uh, in the first quarter with Derrick Henry continuing to rumble in the first, you know, in the in the first quarter uh, of that AFC title game, and the Chiefs were down ten nothing, and yeah. and before you knew it, they were up twenty eight to ten or whatever it was, and and pulled away and won that game. So I don't know. I, I I'm a big fan of defense and running the football. I love that. I just don't think you, uh, uh, the greatest of defenses is going to to force Kansas City to punt that much. I didn't even look at the stats, you know, on on numbers of punts for teams, but I would bet, and I'm pulling it up right now, that Kansas City's got to be near the bottom in, in total number of punts in the NFL, if not the bottom. Um, where are the Chiefs here? The Chiefs have punted 33 – now, you know, by the way, they may be blowing teams out and taking their foot off the pedal in the second half and punting some in the second half. They've got 33 punts on the year. Uh, Here are the teams that have less. Dallas has less, but that's because of turnovers. Um, Indy's got less. New England's got less. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Carolina's got less. Carolina's only punted 29 times. They've got the fewest number of punts of any team in the league. Anyway. That's surprising. Uh, thank you for doing this. Appreciate yeah, it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Um, Galdi, of course, is on 980 right after my show from 9 to noon. He is solo now. And as Tommy and I talked about last week, um, Al and I um, – We've been together at the same place for a long time now with a lot of other people that got laid off a couple of weeks ago. And it's sad for both of us, and it's sad that that Al's not working with Doc anymore, but um, you can tune in and listen to Al uh, 9 to 12 right after my show on 980. All right, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for doing this. All right, no problem.